This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's Monday once again, and that means it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a bunch of topics to discuss today, including the newly announced Raspberry Pi 4, We'll also look at Steam dropping support for Ubuntu. The new NVIDIA Shield is on the way. We'll also take a look at a new flash cartridge for the Sega Genesis that will play CD games in addition to regular ROMs. We'll then look at some older stuff like old code causing modern vulnerabilities. There's one example that Apple just patched after 20 years. We'll also look at the death of the bulletin board system, which is related to that vulnerability, the death of iTunes, which is more recent, and we'll look at automation and how you can make yourself more productive with some really cool online tools that I just started playing around with. Lots to talk about now. Video index is in the description, so let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters on the channel. They include Hudson Betts and Tony Christian, who gave via the donor box page, and Maple Droid, who made a super chat contribution during last week's premiere of the wrap up. I want to thank these folks for their contributions, along with everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, and all of you who watch on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And we have a sponsor this week. The folks at Wondershare are sponsoring the wrap-up. They are the makers of PDF Element, which is available for Mac and Windows, and they are promoting the Mac version this week, but what you're about to see will work across other platforms, too. And this week, they have a sale, 40% off, PDF Element Pro for the Mac. I'm going to show you one of the things you can do with it in a second. And they have the regular version available at 30% off. And you can go to their website to see what each version has. So what can you do with PDF Element that you can't do on your regular PDF reader? Well, there's quite a bit. And we're going to focus on one feature today. Uh, Now, you see right now I've got this document loaded up. This is from my school board from about 10 years ago. And this is a PDF document that's just a bunch of images. I can't edit this text or select anything here. It just is an image that's on separate pages, and I have to just kind of deal with it. But now you can do a little bit more with that, because if you look here at the top, it says this document appears to be a scanned PDF. Do you want to perform OCR? And we're going to say, yes, of course I want to do some OCR. And I can set some parameters here and then click the Perform OCR button. And what it's going to do is create a second file where it will have converted all of this image-based text to actual editable text. And if we uh, go over to the file that I processed a few minutes ago, uh, you can see here that we have some text here. And if I go over to Edit and then just click inside the box, I can go ahead and change the year on this. So maybe we'll go 2019 to 2020. And then I can even move this title section around the page as well if I want. So you have full ability to edit this document and all of the other numbers that go into it if you want to do that. You can even export this out to other applications like Microsoft Word and Excel and other things. So if you have a big table of stuff in a PDF, you can actually convert it over to an Excel file. It could be very useful uh, for a lot of different types of activities. Uh, We've even done things where you can 
extract data from forms and dump it into a spreadsheet. Really helpful for when you're doing tax season and that kind of stuff. And PDF Element is a really good way to get all of that stuff done. Now the OCR feature you just saw is unique to the pro version of PDF Element and you can get a breakdown of what each version will give you on the link that you see on screen along with other links that will take you directly to the Mac App Store. You can try it for free and then if you're ready to buy it, you'll get that discount applied to you right through the in-app purchase. I want to thank Wondershare and their software PDF Element for their sponsorship and support of the channel. And now it's time for the week in review. On the Extras channel, I had two videos. The first dealt with my keyboard fix on my MacBook Pro. As you recall, last week I sent it in. It got back in less than a week. In fact, they delivered it overnight on a Saturday to get it back into my hands, which was very nice to see. I also did a quick test of rigging up my smartphone with my Sennheiser wireless AVX microphones. I had to buy a bunch of little adapters to get it to work, and I did a quick live stream on the Extras channel to make sure it was all working. One of the best ways to troubleshoot video stuff is just to stream it out because eventually a bunch of you will come in and tell me how it's working, and I appreciate everyone who tuned in very briefly for that little live stream. I may do another one because I finally got the rest of the parts I needed for the rig. Uh, so you can check that out. Now, one thing I noted in my MacBook keyboard is that I did not get the new keyboard with the membrane, and that is because I have a first generation of the new MacBook Pro that I got back in 2016. So what I ended up getting uh, was not a repeat of the first gen keyboard, but it looks like, according to Programmer 7 here, that I got a second generation keyboard, which is not the best keyboard you can get for this uh, MacBook, but it's better than the one I had. So we'll see how long this one holds up and whether or not we get any stuck keys with it. But this keyboard that I got back as a replacement is not going to offer additional dust protection that the newer keyboards in the brand new MacBook Pros do. But I'm guessing this recall is going to remain in effect for a little bit longer. So if we do have any long-term issues with my keyboard replacement, I will let you know. Uh, this is now the third time that this Mac has been sent in for repair, and the second time most of its casing has been replaced. So I feel like I've got a brand new computer here, uh, and it's, you know, three or four years old. So it's kind of neat to have a new lease on life there. And on the main channel, we had a bunch of videos up this week, four to be exact. We took a look at the lowest cost iPad that's out there, the regular iPad 9.7. It's still available for $249, which is a great deal given its performance. We also looked at a foldable keyboard that'll work with that iPad from iClever. Wasn't the best thing in the world, but pretty neat nonetheless. Uh, I also went out to New York City where we did another dispatch video. And there was a lot of cool stuff at this event that I went to. So definitely check it out. And you can see some things that we'll probably be having here on the channel very shortly, including a garbage can that seals itself. We probably won't get that can, but some of the other stuff in that video we will get in soon. And yesterday, I posted up my review of the Amazon Fire 7 tablet. They revved the hardware, and it's now a little bit quicker than last year's version. In fact, it's the same hardware now as the 8-inch model with a couple of minor differences. So if you're interested in Amazon's cheapest tablet, you can definitely uh, learn more about it in the video master playlist link down below. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And this came out this morning, the new Raspberry Pi 4. We never get a warning before these things get rolled out, and I happened to wake up a little bit earlier today, and sure enough, this was already blowing up my Twitter feed. I ordered one, and I think I got in on it before it went out of stock, so hopefully uh, we will get this in shortly and have a full review of it. It is a major revision of the hardware, 
and your cases will not work with it because they have moved some things around. So it looks similar, uh, but things are different. So the first big difference here is the USB Type-C power supply. It is no longer relying on your tablet charger. It's going to use a more powerful uh, power source, which is excellent because, I don't know about you, but I was always getting those little lightning icons in the upper right-hand corner of my screen as I was pushing my Raspberry Pi before. That will be a thing of the past if you have a decent USB-C power supply. Uh, That uh, port, though, doesn't do video. It's just power, although I do believe it supports OTG functions, and we'll check that out uh, when we get one of these in. Now, next to it are now two HDMI outputs, and they went from the mini HDMI output now to micro, so make sure you get new cables or adapters to accommodate this. I'm going to be ordering some today. I think I've only got one micro cable kicking around here. Uh, So that will allow you to hook up two displays to this thing, which is great. The processor is more powerful. They say three times more powerful than the last one. It's based on a Cortex A72 ARM architecture. It's the BCM2711. You'll probably want to stick a heatsink on that thing if you're going to be doing some gaming and other strenuous tasks, and uh, I'm going to be doing that. I've got my heat sinks all ready to go already. Now, they give you more RAM options now, so you can still get it for 35 bucks with a gig of RAM, but for $20 more, you can get four gigs, and they have a two-gig option in the middle for $10 less, and I'm guessing this makes a difference for people that are you know, doing fleet-level uh, Raspberry Pi stuff that don't necessarily need the four gigs. Ten bucks scaled over thousands of or hundreds of units will probably save some money there, so just keep that in mind on your pricing. Gigabit Ethernet now, real gigabit Ethernet, so hopefully we'll get better throughput out of that port that might make it better as a VPN server. We explored that a few weeks ago. And then they've got USB 3 ports now and USB 2 ports before they were only USB 2. So a lot of improvements here, and I'm really eager to see what kind of performance we can expect out of this. So when it comes in, we'll do the full gamut of tests, and I'm sure uh, you will have some things you want for me to check out. And please let me know down in the comments below what you would like me to try with it. Uh, One thing it can do now is HEVC video decoding in hardware, and we'll see what you can do with it. I think they say it'll go up to 4K, although I'm not sure it's going to handle the 10-bit stuff. We'll give it a shot and see what it can and can't do very soon. And another bit of news that surprised me this week was that Steam is no longer going to support Ubuntu, and the reason is is that Ubuntu is dropping support for 32-bit applications, and a lot of games are 32-bit apps, and many other games are being ported over from Windows and rely on the Wine Library which also is a 32-bit application, essentially, and that's going to break a lot of games. And as a result, Steam is just going to give up on Ubuntu. Now, the good thing about Linux, of course, is that there are many, many other distributions out there that will continue supporting 32-bit apps. So it's not going to break gaming on Linux, but it will break gaming on one of the most popular distributions of Linux. And a bunch of you wrote in about this story. It looks like there might be a new NVIDIA Shield TV in the works. Apparently, there's a NVIDIA Shield device that's been poking around the Internet, and people are seeing uh, some indicators of that in their logs and analytics. There's more info here at Android Central. But the speculation is is that this new hardware is just a revision and not something totally new. And that was actually the case when they changed it out about two years ago. It was the same guts inside, just with a smaller case. It might be a similar thing this go-around. The rumor is that the X1 processor that is in this alleged new shield has a slightly faster GPU clock, but is otherwise the same. 
And that would not surprise me, actually, because there really isn't much that takes advantage of this full hardware beyond maybe the Dolphin emulator or something. So I don't see a real motivation here on NVIDIA's part to give us something brand new. Uh, but if there is something in the works, we will uh, see hopefully something coming out of NVIDIA shortly. And I would also predict that we would see a new Nintendo Switch revision along with it because they are running with the same processor. So hopefully the Switch might actually be the way we get new NVIDIA Shield TV hardware with faster processors. But I wouldn't get your hopes up just yet. It might just be a simple revision. We, of course, will tell you all about it when it does get announced, whatever it is. And we had another shocking announcement this past week, which is the Mega SD. Uh, This is a new flash cartridge for the Sega Genesis and also the analog Mega SG. And what it provides is not only the ability to play all of your ROMs, but also Sega CD ISOs. And what they've done is recreated the entire Sega CD hardware inside the cartridge via an FPGA. I already ordered one. This has been a very expensive week for me. And once it comes in, we'll check it out. But all of the early reviews of this have been very popular. And that brings me to my picks of the week, including a great review on Retro RGB about the cartridge and all of the specific technical details. And Smoke Monster had a great stream the other night where he was playing with it as well. What's really impressive about this is that it's able to do all of the Sega CD stuff through the cartridge slot and not through the expansion slot on the side of the Genesis. So it's really cool stuff. And yes, you can spend a lot of money replicating your Sega Genesis and Sega CD in uh, 2019. But I think if you grew up with this stuff and wanted a great way to play with it, there's a real golden era of Sega this year. And this has been really, really exciting. Now this will work with the 32X but it doesn't replicate a 32X. So you have to have a physical 32X on top of your device, and then you can plug the cartridge in and play 32X ROMs. It doesn't yet support 32X CD games, but it can bring Sega CD compatibility to the portable Nomad. So there's that. Uh, So cool stuff. When this comes in, we will definitely check it out. And it's a great time to be alive if you are a Sega Genesis fan as I am. And this article in Wired Magazine caught my eye. It's about a modem bug, and not your cable modem, but an analog telephone modem that has been inside of OS X since 1999 and was only recently discovered and patched. And apparently, every version of OS X up until about 2016 was vulnerable to this bug, but Apple has since patched it in the last version of OS X that had the bug. Uh, So it should hopefully be worked out of everyone's system at this point. And of course, if you are on the current version, you're not susceptible. And what this bug could do is elevate the privilege of the attacker to the point that they could gain access to the system, irrespective of whether or not there was an analog modem plugged into it. And this is just one of those examples of how old code sitting in these operating systems that have been developed over decades uh, can become a real problem in the future here. And we see it all the time. Windows has these issues. Even Linux has had examples of old Unix code from decades ago introducing a vulnerability that creates global problems. And it's just another example of how complicated even the little computer on your desk has become. And this one was just fascinating because it all began with an analog modem driver way back in the 90s when that was something that came on every computer and persisted in OS X ever since. You think OS X is brand new every time you get it, but just like every other operating system, it has a legacy that gets carried over from one year to the next, 
and I'm sure there's a bunch of other stuff lurking inside of our systems as well. Now, all of this discussion about analog modems got me thinking about the BBSCon packet I stumbled across the other day on the Internet Archive. Now, if you don't know what a BBS system is, it stands for Computer Bulletin Board System, and this is how I and many, many, many other people got online back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. In many cases, these BBS systems were free and operated by hobbyists, but there were a number of bulletin board systems that got bigger. They bought more computers, they bought multiple phone lines, and they basically turned themselves into these little online services and charged people a monthly fee to access them. And it became a pretty good business if you were looking to uh, do something in the BBS world. And of course, BBSCon was where people went to learn more about how to grow their businesses. And what's unique about the 1994 edition of this packet is is the fact that this whole industry just kind of disappeared a very short time after this 1994 conference took place when the commercial internet became available. So look at the size of this. You got all these booths, you have keynote discussions, you have people flying in from all over the country to uh, learn about ways to grow their little BBS companies, and then it just went poof when uh, the commercial internet took off like no other communication technology had taken off before. Now, a lot of these small BBS providers pivoted and became small ISPs, but of course we all know what happened to them, and now we have our big corporate regional monopolies kind of running everything, but it just shows you how volatile uh, the modern technology business is and how quickly you can go from this viable business with a huge conference to something that is uh, far different and put a lot of people out of business, unfortunately. Now, if you really want to dig into BBS systems, there is a great documentary by Jason Scott And you can find that at the link you see on screen. I think it's about eight or nine hours long, but really dives into the culture of these bulletin board systems and all the different things people would do on them and some really good anecdotes from people that were a big part of this movement that very quickly disappeared. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And one thing we haven't talked about yet is the impending demise of iTunes. And Aaron Johnson has some concerns about that because he's worried about losing some key features that he's grown accustomed to in iTunes. And one of the big things that he's pointing to here is the very robust podcast directory that is in iTunes. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better podcast directory than that because for most podcasters, that's where you start and then you start sending your feed out to other services as well. And he's worried about losing that functionality. So the good news is that although iTunes is going away, and I think it's definitely time for it to go away, given its old code base and what might be lurking in that. That code base, by the way, goes way back 20 years as well. Uh, They're going to be splitting the iTunes application into distinct applications on the Mac, just like they do right now on your iPhone and iPads. You'll have a music app where all of your music will be stored. So if you have music in iTunes, after you upgrade OS X and iTunes goes away, all of that will show up in the music app, including your online purchases. You'll get a separate podcast app, a separate TV app for TV shows and movies, and of course the books app, which is already in existence on the Mac, because that's where you get books from already. Uh, So they're going to basically simplify things and diversify out their applications to support each of the media types that you're looking at, and then they can retire this old code in the process. Uh, So you will be able to get those podcast feeds from the podcast app, and things will continue onward like that. So I don't think Aaron should have anything to worry about. But what was intriguing in doing research to see exactly what was going on with iTunes is that it appears as though iTunes will continue to exist in Windows the same way it does now. 
and there's no plans to retire the Windows version, at least insofar as I can see, immediately. So I think you'll probably get a few more years out of iTunes on Windows, and the code base for that might be a little bit more up-to-date versus the Mac version, given that they had to write it from scratch for Windows versus the Mac version that's just been carried over since the Mac OS 9 days, actually. So we'll have to see how long Apple holds out on the Windows side. They have been very interested in bringing their services to other platforms. We will be seeing, I think maybe we have already, uh, a music app on Android to access your uh, Apple content there. And then, of course, we're seeing the Apple TV app showing up on smart televisions and other devices, too. So we might see something happen on the Windows side at some point. But for now, iTunes will continue to exist. And if you are using it and happy with it, I think you'll be able to continue using it for the foreseeable future. Now, last week, I got this comment from IRQ Joe with a very valid concern about the YouTube notification bell. So I and many other creators ask you not only to subscribe, but also click the bell so you don't miss the new things that we put out. Because if you do click the bell, you will get a notification pushed to your phone and an email delivered to you uh, to get you to watch the content that we just uploaded because YouTube generally does not automatically put every video of mine in front of you. It only gives you a small selection of your uh, subscription base and things that YouTube's algorithm thinks you might find of interest. And it's often a frustration point uh, for us creators because if I ever do something different, uh, most of you don't see the video because YouTube doesn't think you're going to want to watch it. We did a great video that we spent a lot of time on a few weeks ago on high-speed cameras that very few people saw because YouTube just didn't put it in front of people and it really frustrated me. So if you click the bell, you get notified. But Joe's issue here is that those notifications come at him all day long, not when he wants to sit down and watch something. And of course, YouTube doesn't make it easy to get a list of of your top creators presented to you when you sit down. It's just, again, what they think you should watch. So I said, all right, let's take a look at doing something a little bit different here. And I've been meaning to do this for a while. Uh, So the first thing I did is I set up a notification email list. Now, granted, this is not going to be ideal for everybody, but for those of you who want to do more of a schedule, this might help. And what you can do is sign up here, even if you already are on my email list, uh, and it will send out an email to you once a week, Sunday morning, or every day around 7 p.m. or so, and it will give you all the new videos that I uploaded. So that way you're not getting these notifications, you're getting something sent over to your email. And that might work for some of you, and I figured I would put it together and get it launched this week. So if you go ahead and sign up for it, uh, it should be working by the end of the week. And again, if you're already on the email list, just sign up again, because this will add a tag to your account that my email system will use to send out that email. But then I went down a rabbit hole and I said, well, what else could we do? What kind of automations are out there? And then I stumbled across Zapier, or Zapier, uh, when I was on the train coming back from New York City earlier this week. And Zapier is basically IFTTT on steroids. It supports a lot more of the types of services that you might use with If This Then That. And there's a lot more functionality built in, including the ability to do multiple things in a single Zap, as they call it, which would be a recipe on If This Then That. Uh, So the first thing I wanted to do was just create a reliable consolidated RSS feed of my two channels. Now, RSS stands for Really Simple Syndication. It got its start back in the blogging days. And believe it or not, YouTube has been supporting RSS for a very long period of time, and I hope they continue doing it. And what you get in a YouTube RSS feed for your favorite channel 
is all of this information. Look at this. We get the title. We have the link. We've got the thumbnails. We have even the entire video description available to us. And Zapier is parsing this stuff better than any other service I have seen, including a lot of those free services that do uh, RSS work for you. And I was really impressed with that. Uh, by the way, if you want to know how to get at an RSS feed for your favorite channel, all you have to do is find out their channel ID and then insert it after this text that you see here. And that will automatically get you those feeds. So what I've got here is a feed for both my main channel and my extras channel. And this creates a single feed that Zapier is hosting that I can use for just about anything. Uh, and what you'll see here is that feed. So if you wanted to grab my consolidated feed, all you have to do is just go to this address, including this LON TV consolidated, and then you will have this feed. So every time I upload a video on either channel, it gets added to that RSS feed, and all of that information that you just saw is accessible to software that you might write yourself or services that use RSS. Now, with that RSS feed, I can have my email blasting service called Active Campaign automatically put that email together and fire it off to all of you. Now, I'm still working on it right now. Uh, the consolidated feed actually has some duplicate entries in it, which is why we see this twice. But later on this week, when we do some more videos, these will each be their own video. There'll be a link that you can click on to take you right over to that video on YouTube, complete with a thumbnail. I don't have to touch it because it's all going to happen in the background automatically. And if you set that email to be delivered weekly, Sunday morning at 7 a.m., you'll have an email of all the videos that I put together and you can uh, go from there. So this got me to thinking about how do we solve the original question, which is building a notification system that gets us our top favorite creators delivered to us at a time, place, and method of our choosing. And Zapier might be an option for you there. Now there is a free tier of Zapier that allows you to have five zaps at one time. Uh, a zap is what you see here with the feed consolidator. This is a single zap, but you could make this one and then have your notification zap be the second one. But Zapier is limited to only 10 feeds that you can consolidate at once. So if you have more than 10 creators, this might be a limiting factor. Uh, there's another service out there called RSS Mix that is free. And this will allow you to do up to 100 feeds at a time. And I think you can actually uh, do some things where you can mix in other mixes in a nested fashion. But I think 100 might be enough there. So what I've done here is I've loaded in uh, all of my YouTube RSS feeds. And if I click Create, uh, that will get us a single consolidated feed that is available here. Now, once you have this RSS feed built, you can use it pretty much anywhere. You can go back to Zapier and have it send that data somewhere. IFTTT supports RSS. Uh, you can also use an RSS reader like I've got here. Uh, this is a service that I subscribe to called Baskuz. I think it's how it's pronounced. I'll put a link to it down below in the video description. And you can see what it looks like when you get all this stuff together. So you can imagine uh, this RSS mix having all of my favorite creators and I can click on uh, one of the newer uploads that they've got and it'll take me right to YouTube, for example, and I can start watching that video. Uh, there are apps available on mobile that can read RSS feeds. So you really can do a lot here by creating an RSS feed from your YouTube channels that you watch and have a means of notifying yourself for all the things you don't want to miss. And of course, now that I've talked about it, YouTube will probably discontinue it. Uh, but what I would love to get from all of you in our uh, Q&A for you this week is perhaps some ideas as to what we could build as a notification system 
and maybe I'll do a video how-to about how to build it out. I would love to get some ideas as to what you think might work, might would work, uh, if we can maybe look at IFTTT or look at uh, maybe using Zapier for it. Again, Zapier can get to a premium level if you start doing too much with it, but IFTTT is free. Uh, one other cool thing might be to try to figure out some way to create a playlist from that RSS feed so that we can jump over to YouTube in the YouTube app and have every video that we want to see automatically added to the playlist. There's a lot of things to think about. I would love to get some ideas from all of you as to how we might be able to implement this, and maybe we'll do a video kind of showcasing some ways that you can use these RSS feeds to finally get notified about the things you want to see. Now, just to get your gears turning about how automation can work, uh, when that feed gets updated, Zapier right now is doing a whole bunch of stuff, including adding a tweet to my Buffer account, I'm on the free plan there, and what's nice about it is that it won't overload with tweets. It schedules them out, so it adds a tweet to the queue automatically that gets pushed out at a later time with that video. It also creates a post on my Facebook page with that video. It creates another post on LinkedIn with that video. And one thing I haven't announced yet, but I guess I am going to now, is that we are in the process of building out a website for the channel and I'm going to have a post for every video that I upload on that website, along with some buying guides and a few other things. And what it's going to do is create that post automatically from that YouTube upload. We're working on getting it to embed the video right now, but what it does is it creates the title of the post from the title of the video, it drops in the link to the video, and then it pulls in the entire video description, which is pretty cool. And then what it does is it uploads a thumbnail to WordPress, automatically from YouTube. And this one was kind of neat, not to belabor this, but I thought this was kind of a neat way to do it. Uh, if I go over to this customization field here, you can see that I have it pulling out the highest resolution it can find uh, based on the raw video ID that's embedded inside of that RSS feed. And that's been working great. It just drops it right into the media gallery. And then what it does is it goes out to our task manager called FreedCamp and it creates a bunch of tasks that we have to do after the video is uploaded, including backing it up to my Synology server. It makes sure that uh, Plex Web Shows gets it. Uh, we make sure the write-up is ready to go, and then I go and make sure that I activate content ID on the post to protect my copyright, and that is the process we work through here on the channel with automation using Zapier. Now, this, uh, what you just saw here, requires a premium account but it's making the workflow a lot better here because all this stuff we were doing either through IFTT or manually in the case of the website, uh, now it's all being done with the uh, automation here of that video getting uploaded to YouTube. And I think it's going to be a really nice workflow moving forward. So let me know what you think and we'll come up with some ideas that we can use to help create our own notification systems. So check your notifications, everybody, because this week we've got a bunch of stuff coming up on the channel. I had a lot of interest in the iPod Touch after I did the video on that low-cost iPad last week, so I bought one, and I will have a review of it coming up very shortly. Uh, this is the new version that has the new chip, which is the same chip as that iPad's got, so we'll see how this little guy performs versus the big one. And they're still making the iPods, and that is the iPod of the moment. Uh, we also got in the Flex 14 from Lenovo, uh, this is a lower cost kind of entry level two in one, and we'll see how that one works. We did see it briefly at the Pepcom show last week. And I'm also getting in this little guy. This is, I think, called the Pocket BitBoy or something like that. It's a little emulation console that you might have seen on some of the other retro channels. They sent one to me as well. I think I'm getting it today, so I'm eager to try that out. 
And if that Raspberry Pi 4 comes in, you can bet I will have a video on that. And I think the Valve Index VR headset is also on the way. Uh, so if that stuff comes in, of course, we'll preempt these things and make sure we get those things up. It's going to be a very busy summer here, which is good. There hasn't been a lot of cool and interesting stuff lately, and now there's a whole bunch of it coming in, so I'm excited for that. Uh, so stay tuned. Lots to come. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, my favorite media serving application, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We get a slightly larger one if you sign up for a Plex pass or gift it to somebody else. And a bunch of you have been doing that lately, so thank you very much. And we have other channels you can take a look at and add to your RSS feeds. Uh, That includes the Extras channel, my podcast feed, which is an audio version of this show. We also have the Snippets channel, which takes search-friendly portions of this show and puts them up as standalone videos. And then, of course, we have my archive of live streams. Now, if you want to get notified (laughs) after uh, seeing my last segment there, you may not want to. Uh, You can click on the bell and click Save or take my RSS feed and drop it into something that you want to use. That is available to you, of course. And then, of course, we have my email list at lon.tv slash email. I'll be adding the uh, new notification list next week to this slide after we get it working. We have my Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook. We have the Facebook group at lon.tv slash Facebook group. And then we've got the store at lon.tv slash store where you can buy items that I have previously reviewed here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. We've got, I, I keep saying this, but we really do have it. A whole big pile of stuff over there that we are in the course of indexing and getting ready to list. And then I put up a couple of Switch games that I am not looking to play with anymore, so you can get a good deal on those. So check out the store. And if you want to get notified of store changes, we have an email list for that too at lon.tv slash store alert. I'm looking at ways of automating that process as well. So that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for tuning in and continuing to support the channel through your viewership, through your comments, and your financial support. All of it means a lot to me. I did some things a little differently this week on the wrap-up, so let me know what you thought. I'm trying to make it more interesting to all of you, so let me know your comments down in those comment threads down there, and I appreciate it greatly, and thank you all for watching, and until next time, this is Lon Seidman. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.